Hello and welcome to The Frontline, a podcast about LGBTI activism in Europe and Central Asia. The Frontline comes to you from ILGA Europe, an umbrella for over 600 LGBTI organisations in 54 countries. And I'm your host for this episode, Brian Finnegan. Today, we're talking to LGBTI activists in Bulgaria, which since becoming a member of the EU almost 14 years ago, has not been under the same scrutiny it was during the accession process. Unlike EU members Poland and Hungary, the Bulgarian government has not been taking direct action against LGBTI people over recent years. Yet, it is still a country with hardly any legislative protection and where there are very low acceptance rates of LGBTI people, along with the significant growth in the so-called anti-gender movement. Yet, at the same time, Bulgaria has a strong, strategic and outspoken LGBTI movement that is working together and using all the tools available for that work, including strategic litigation, which we will hear more about later on. But first, we began recording this episode last February, before the COVID-19 pandemic set in, and we are planning the 2020 ILGA Europe conference, which was to take place in Sofia in October, but alas, couldn't. Back then, activist Lily Dragoeva from Bulgaria's Belitis Foundation, talked to me about a story that was pretty hard to believe at first, the successful spreading of a fake news story about the mass kidnapping of Bulgarian children so that they could be placed for adoption with same-sex couples in Norway. But first, I asked Lily about how Bulgarian society was changing so that such a bizarre story could find a foothold. It is changing. Um, It is changing fast. Um, We have our everyday life and experience that we can share. Uh, So we have our everyday stories and the things that happen that can give you that reference whether things are getting better or getting worse. But that's at the same time a bit subjective. So I will just share quickly some numbers that we have that really show how. Okay. Things are changing. Um, In 2008, according to European Values Survey, 51% of the Bulgarians were feeling uncomfortable having an LGBTI neighbor. We managed to do the same questioning in 2018, and the percentage now is 65 So we have a decrease by almost 15% in the time span of only 10 years. This is extremely worrying and it provides a a clear picture how the social environment is changing and unfortunately is changing for the worse. Social distance between LGBTI people and the rest of the Bulgarian society is getting wider And we as activists really need to find a way to remedy that quickly because we see that the trend is really negative. And if we end up in 10 years with another 15% um, of decrease in social acceptance, that means that the life of LGBTI people would have gotten to a level that it's barely possible to really live in an environment where... 65, 70 or more percent of the population doesn't want you there, doesn't like you existing. Um, So I think that we are in a very crucial time now 
as activists and it is important that we do the best to our abilities to try and stop the process. So let's talk about the elements of that process. Um, things that are happening that are changing um, society and that are kind of pushing that anti-LGBTI agenda um, or the anti-gender agenda, as, as it's been called now. Let's talk about, to begin with, I suppose, hate speech, um, political hate speech, you know, uh, from leaders um, and how that is rolling out. And, you, you know, is it a big problem there? Yeah, it is. Um, I need to first make that disclaimer at the beginning that according to the Bulgarian legislation, there is no such thing as hate speech um, against LGBTI people. So in legal terms, this is not a problem. Even our politicians would argue that there is no hate speech against LGBTI people because there is no such thing in the in the uh, legal system, which is a problem on its own. You, we don't have a legal system that actually provides for safety and security and equal treatment of all citizens. Aside the legal aspect, um, politicians in Bulgaria are easily um, turning their actions based on the society's attitude. So if the general perception is against LGBTI people, then many politicians would try and change their narratives to match that because they want to keep their uh, levels of uh, liking from the, from the society high. At the same time, we are in a situation now that we have the far-right parties, part of the ruling uh, coalition, in power, in government, um, this is a situation that we didn't face before. So it is really a challenge to have high-level politicians, uh, deputy prime ministers, ministers uh, who use hate speech in their uh, daily work. And this really affects the way that society reacts to those issues. Because if you have a high-level politician in power who speaks openly against the rights of LGBTI people or the Roma community for that matter, then it becomes socially acceptable to use that language in your everyday. And this is how this, it might seem to some as an abstract problem, hate speech coming from politicians, someone said something on the television that really nobody cares about. Well, actually, these fuel, this fuels very strong narratives into everyday life of so many people and when you have such role models and you have no counter role models you don't have people in power who actually would stand up against those claims and would say uh, the other side of the story which is about values and human rights and democracy and acceptance of LGBTI people then that's the only narrative you hear out there. And it makes a lot of people feel uh, comfortable using it in their daily life, at school, at work, at the bus stop. And then when you have levels of hate speech rising, this definitely leads to also to levels of physical hate crimes rising as well, because after the words comes the punch. 
And this is something that we really need to understand better and to know that these are interlinked and we cannot just take one piece of it out of the picture. And when we speak about uh, hate crimes, we need to also definitely think about hate speech and the power of words. And then there's another narrative going on that's uh, led by the anti-gender movement, which is quite a shocking um, development in terms of the spreading of hysteria. Um, so tell us a little bit about that, the, the, the children being taken away from their families story. Yeah, it's a fascinating story, really. Um, it is difficult for me to put it into two sentences because it's so absurd <laughs> and so white that is really difficult to grasp. Uh, but it is a fact that over the last year, year and a half, we in Bulgaria have been witnessing the building up of a narrative that the so-called genders now, because the anti-gender movement utilizes this new um, word, new term, um, and the genders are basically LGBTI people, all the LGBTI people erasing us all as LGBTIQ and just throwing us under that big umbrella term of gender. Um, so the genders are the ones that basically uh, have the ability and the will to destroy the traditional Bulgarian family. And the traditional Bulgarian family, of course, consists of men, women, and children. But there is that understanding that uh, following the model of Norway, and this is um, an actual narrative, that the Norwegian model, which basically uh, builds itself around the state having so much power that could take away children from their families, uh, will be implemented in Bulgaria. And once that model is implemented and the state can pick and choose which children to take away from their families, once the families are taken out, uh, the children are taken out of the family, they will be sent to other countries to foster care, uh, countries such as the Netherlands and Norway. Uh, and what's more, they will be given to foster care to gay couples in those countries because it's acceptable there that gay couples adopt and have children, which will eventually um, influence the children and will make them gay, or the gay couples will uh, sexually abuse those children because of the linkage between being LGBTI and pedophile. So in a extraordinary way all those pieces of narratives that have existed for a while here and there got interconnected into the Bulgarian context and basically created this monster this gender monster that has the only goal to destroy the Bulgarian family by taking away its children and giving them to uh, gay couples who would turn them gay. It is for a fact that the, a majority of Bulgarian parents do believe in that narrative. It has been fueled by numerous protests and street actions by the people who are starting that rumor and that fake news. 
um, including by informing, quote-unquote, the society that in a particular day, at a particular time, from a particular train station, trains with children taken out of their families will be shipped off to Norway, including three schools being emptied in the Sliven municipality by worried parents who got uh, the fake news that at this particular moment, their children were taken out of school by social services. And in their terror, parents rushed into the school and in less than 30 minutes emptied the buildings, horrified for their children's safety. And these um, stories might seem absurd to some, but in reality, they are real stories. And the fact that they're happening is the, the, the deep fear that people now in Bulgaria have for their safety of their children and their families. And we need to be mindful of how the anti-gender strategists and actors utilize basic feeling such as fear um, and more so fear of the LGBTI people because it is not just that the state will take away your child, it will then give it to gay couples. So it's very obvious that homophobia and transphobia are at the bottom line of all this story. And it is important to understand how all these um, invisible linkages actually exist between, at first glance, uh, completely different storylines, such as uh, preventing from ratification of the Convention on Domestic and Gender-Based Violence, because it talks about basically women um, and domestic violence. But actually, the reason why the strategy was not ratified was that so-called gender monster that was created. So we really need to be mindful of all the invisibility that is laid behind um, so many actions and events that are happening in Bulgaria now. That interview with Lily Dragoeva took place in the early part of this year, before the COVID-19 pandemic overtook all news, fake or otherwise. Since then, the story about children being spirited away for adoption by gay couples in Norway has died down in Bulgaria. But more recently, there has been a rise in anti-LGBTI hatred in the form of organised attacks on young people suspected of being LGBTI. The attacks took place in the city of Plovdiv. Here to talk to me about the attacks and the current atmosphere in Bulgaria are activists Simeon Vasilev of the Glass Foundation in Sofia and Dimitar Dimitrov, co-founder of LGBT Plovdiv. Dimitar, I'll come to you first. Can you tell me about the attacks that took place in your city? Yes, okay, so on the 27th, I think, of September, a group of uh, youths, mostly boys, dressed in black, you know how it is, um, they organized themselves and decided to purge a park which is in the middle of Plovdiv, 
to purge it from LGBT people or people who look as such. So the targets were um, girls with short hair, boys with colored hair. Um, they hurled eggs at them, flour, they yelled insults and uh, generally just harassed them, followed them around, screaming, yelling, that sort of thing. And these uh, attacks were organized via Instagram, I read, or, or was it Facebook? Yes, that is uh, what I found out as well. Uh, the police have not released any official details. They are supposedly running a check about the case. What worried us is that many, many years ago, we had a similar purge in Sofia where um, a young man was killed because the attackers perceived him to be gay. We don't have any confirmation of that, but um, in that case, um, the perpetrators were much older, much stronger. Um, but if uh, 13, 14-year-old boys today think that this is okay, they will continue until we reach the same fate that uh, we had those years ago. Earlier on, I talked to Lily Dragoeva about the story, um, the fake news story that was uh, circulating about children being taken away from Bulgarian families and uh, sent to Norway where they would be adopted by same-sex couples. And that was pre-COVID um, and that interview that I did with Lily and that story has not really surfaced since then. But it suggests an atmosphere in Bulgaria where LGBTI people are being demonized by particular factions in a very organized way. Can you talk to me a little bit about that and how this these attacks might tie in with that sense of organization against LGBTI people? Yeah, it's, it is uh, an environment, a challenging environment that we as activists and as LGBTI people have to face on a daily basis. Um, all of this is causing this fear um, and propaganda against the community, uh, fear against um, the community taking away from the Bulgarian society the traditional values or destroying the traditional fam family, whatever that means. Um, this is really causing uh, a lot of um, uh, hate online and offline being distributed at us and also people really feeling powerful to uh, to to go against the others against people who are different from them and it, it's a it's a this poisonous mix of uh, propaganda fake news uh, and also the political speech of the political uh, public language i should say it's uh, because of the united uh, united united patriots party which is in coalition with the ruling party, they've been a rise in uh, the hate speech against the LGBTI community in the last uh, couple of years. And there was no, um, I suppose, official reaction to the attacks in Plovdiv, even though uh, the police have vowed to investigate. Does that say um, something more about the government's overall attitude, Simeon? It's not. It's not a surprise, I should say. Unfortunately, in uh, even in the last five years that I've been involved as an activist, I haven't seen them or the prosecution or the Commission for Protection Against Discrimination being active and efficient on uh, uh, discrimination against 
uh, LGBTI people. It's even, there was a recent case where we uh, publicly asked the Commission for Protection Against Discrimination to take actions against um, the Prime Deputy Prime Minister uh, Krasimir Karakachanov's statement that the protests, which been ongoing for almost uh, over 100 days in Bulgaria, will lead, their aim is actually for a gender republic and same-sex marriages to be uh, legalized in Bulgaria. And the commission hasn't done a thing. It's also on other notorious cases in the past, like the billboard campaign, which was vandalized 2018. Up to this date, the Commission for Protection Against Discrimination haven't um, come with a decision on whether there was discrimination or not in an obvious case. <laughs> so they haven't been uh, effective. And when it comes to the prosecution, they're also stating and I, I take that into account that they don't have the legal grounds because the criminal code uh, does not include sexual orientation and gender identity as um, uh, legal grounds uh, for hate crimes, even up to date. So the police are with tight hands and the prosecution are with tight hands. And then the, the institutions which should be uh, effective on that are actually not, not effective at all. So Bulgaria, you know, Bulgaria is part of the EU and the EU, there are certain values that Bulgaria has signed up to being part of the EU. How do um, activists, LGBTI activists in Bulgaria depend on these values, the, the fact that Bulgaria is part of the EU? Well, it's an interesting phenomenon. Whenever we say that Europe is a union based on values and those values are for dignity, for equal rights, our opponents are saying, we don't want that Europe. And whenever we say, but Europe is paying for our subway, for uh, our roads, for the agriculture, and that's not up to us to decide which portion of the European Union's funding and support we're going to use or not. Uh, our opponents are also using that um, against us that these are Western-imposed values in a country, in a traditional uh, country like Bulgaria. I should say that uh, I think those points of view are getting, um, uh, are losing their strength and uh, power and that they are, people don't really trust them. But it is still a political discussion and it's still a political talk from certain, so from certain political parties. Um, for us, of course, we, uh, when it comes to Glass Foundation, to the other organizations, we are relying even financially on the support from the European Union. And it is, and I've said that publicly on numerous occasions, there's nothing to be ashamed of because our opponents here are trying to say that these are Euro funds and they've been, uh, used for human rights, that it's like it's something wrong. It's actually we are who we are today to a large proportion, thanks to the European Union support uh, when it comes to resources. But when it comes to publicly acknowledging, um, like in the case with, um, uh, with Poland, when uh, uh, President von der Leyen said that, uh, that uh, the European Union has no place for uh, LGBT free zones, I think that we need more of that public support because it's it creates a um 
it creates this uh, environment where people are talking about it, where people are discussing it. And I think out of the discussions uh, on a national and on a per personal level, level, people are uh, overcoming their prejudices and their stereotypes. And I think it's helpful. And I think that's, that's what I would love for the European Union of the next years to be more active at, to be more vocal for LGBT rights and human rights. I would actually, unfortunately, have to disagree with Simone on this part um, because we find ourselves in a situation where it is uh, politically unpopular to defend minorities and in such troubled times, uh, you know, with COVID and the financial uh, consequences that are coming, um, the marginalized and the vulnerable will be the first to be targeted. And we already see this escalating. Uh, in the face of our ruling party and in opposition parties as well. Uh, we're like the scapegoats um, to round up support for these parties who actually don't offer any alternative. But it is uh, very popular to go anti-LGBTQI or anti-Roma or anti-Muslim right now. Um, we see in uh, some places uh, in the world, uh, in Europe, uh, say in Poland, for instance, it is anti-feminism, in France it is anti-Islam, and in Bulgaria it's anti-LGBTQI. So it's it's a matter of uh, luck of the draw who will be the next target. Uh, and so we we can point our fingers at the institutions who are not working to their best capacity, but we should note that it is not uh, popular for them to to do their job. Uh, I know it sounds absurd, but we need to address each person uh, in our community as uh, an individual and muster support from the masses, uh, because otherwise, if they see that it's, uh, it's better politically to not take action, then this will continue going on. If we have the, the broader support, if we raise talks about uh, human solidarity, understanding, tolerance, then we can maybe hope to see a different political discourse. And are there fears that in Bulgaria that um, there will be a, a rise of, I suppose, legislation, as there has been in, in Poland, um, that targets LGBTI people? Um, yes, there are talks about um, maybe uh, raising talks about a new constitution. Our current uh, constitution already defines marriage as a union between man and woman. Uh, but um, the so-called conservatives argue that this should be even further cemented to explicitly exclude the possibility of same-sex marriage ever being applied in Bulgaria. Also, there are talks about abortion rights and all these things um, which conservatives use as their bullet points, which is ironic because um, these policies are coming from outside influences. Um, we had some uh, religious denominations which uh, raised the question about the, what the traditional Bulgarian family should look like, but these organizations are uh, evangelicals funded by U.S. organizations. Uh, so 
they don't have the place to talk about traditional Bulgarian families as such. Um, the similar cases with uh, abortion rights. Um, we have a saying in Bulgarian. Uh, so basically, our politicians saw what could be popular in a similar country, and now they're raising the same questions, hoping to win votes. Okay, and um, in terms of the attacks themselves, uh, is there, there there were threats that the attacks would uh, take place? There'll be further attacks on Sofia and Plovdiv, um, and the, a date was suggested for those attacks, but that didn't happen. But are there fears that this is going to spread? My worry is that maybe right now they're just testing the waters. Uh, they're already seeing on TV that they have uh, somewhat uh, some sort of support or confirmation of their values from what they see on TV. Uh, and right now they're uh, staying in the shadows, so to say, um, maybe uh, circling us at places of gathering. When we have any events, we have guests which do not have our best, uh, do not have the best of intentions. Um, our concern is that this sort of behavior is uh, being left unchallenged. And sooner or later, it will escalate. Um, we had some uh, death threats or threats uh, for violence in Plovdiv. Uh, recently, there was a, a book signing in uh, Sofia about, uh, maybe Simon can tell you more about that, uh, where, again, a group of um, youth in black clothing were sighted at, at the place. We had to have some uh, police involved to just feel safe doing what we're doing. And these things are becoming more and more prevalent. So far, just in terms of uh, numbers and occurrences. But I'm afraid that uh, if they're left unchallenged, that they will escalate into something more violent. Um, I, Simeon, um, I was in Sofia earlier on this year in September and came across an exhibition on one of the main bridges of the city which celebrated LGBTI activists. And this completely was at odds with what I imagined um, Sofia and Bulgaria to be from an outside standpoint looking at LGBTI rights there. It was it suggested a different uh, part of society, a different I suppose, reaction to the visibility of LGBTI people. So can you talk to me about that exhibition and, and what that represents in terms of other factions of, of Bulgarian society? Yeah, it was an exhibition actually organized by one of our partners, the youth organization Deistvie. And it also included uh, Roma activists and um, Jewish activists. So they were all different, uh, coming from different background, but public figures uh, in a way. Unfortunately, this exhibition was vandalized just a few hours after it was open. But then with the help of the um, of the Sofia's local police department and um, a security guy was um, was placed there at the exhibition and it happened and people could see it and you 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 saw it as well, which uh, which is really nice. Um, but I also want to talk about a different exhibition that we've opened just yesterday. It was it's called an online collection of hate 
it's called actually Shitstorm, <laughs> an online collection of hate. And it's um, death threats also, but the slurs, insults that we've been collecting as activists on our Facebook uh, profiles or Instagrams or uh, of the pages. And this exhibition is also bringing to life the, the hate that we live in, uh, that it's a daily, um, a daily phenomenon in, in the lives of LGBTI activists. But also those two exhibits are a clear example that we use art as a social change and that there, there, there is a of progress in the Bulgarian society, that at least we are publicly acknowledging who our role models are, who the activists are, that we are acknowledging that there is a, an issue with the online hate, and it is a process of bringing, after all, more visibility for the community. And as, as we've discussed, with visibility comes progress. So I believe those two uh, exhibits and the things that are in the recent years happening are leading ultimately to progress for the Bulgarian LGBTI community. As always, it's not a black and white story. There, There is um, a lot of complexity to the situation there. Um, I want to thank you both for, for joining uh, me today on the front line. And we will, uh, I'm sure, be talking to you again in the future as we keep an eye on what's happening and um, ongoing in Bulgaria. We come now to lawyer Denista Evanova, who is head of the legal programme for the Bulgarian LGBT youth organisation, Destvia. Denista has been involved in taking a case to the Bulgarian courts, which could have a significant impact on LGBTI rights in the country and for rainbow families across the EU. Hi Denista, and welcome to The Frontline. To begin with, can you give us some background to the case and why it was taken to the Bulgarian courts? Of course. Um... The two women uh, got married in the UK in 2018 and in the end of 2019, in December 2019, their child was born uh, on the territory of Spain where they were at the moment um, legally residing. Um, and in the birth certificate of the, of the child, there were the two mothers written as uh, parents of the child. Um, as the UK mother could not transmit the uh, UK citizenship to her child, and the child could not obtain Spanish citizenship as none of the uh, parents is a Spanish citizen. Uh, the Bulgarian mother decided to request uh, uh, the Bulgarian authorities to issue a Bulgarian birth certificate of the child on the basis of the Spanish birth certificate. Um, yeah, so this is basically the sh- the story short uh, before entering the court system in Bulgaria. So when was the case first introduced and what was the initial response? Um, yeah, in February 2020, uh, Sofia Municipality instructed us to provide an evidence uh, that uh, of the origin of the child regarding who is the birth mother of the child. And uh, let me translate this. Uh, Sofia Municipality asked us to provide evidence that the Bulgarian mother gave birth to the child. And of course, our answer was very definitive that we are in no way obliged by the Bulgarian legislation that um, such information should be provided. And, of course, we refused uh, 
to provide such kind of information. And um, maybe a week later, we received a refusal from Sofia municipality, uh, Sofia municipality. And in the beginning of March 2020, we entered the complaint in uh, the administrative court uh, in Sofia city. There, there is still no outcome of the case. Like once our, um, yeah, once our case was entered in uh, the administrative court in Sofia, uh, we were having uh, like um, exchange of documents which which were needed in order to proceed the the court case, and the. Um, before the the first hearing of the case, the it was also a very impulsive decision on behalf of the um, of the judge, and I was not ready for this either. But the judge decided to send the referral um, a referral with questions to the European Court of Justice. So the case has now gone to the Court of Justice of the EU for clarification. Can you expand exactly on what? clarification was asked for it, Nista? Well, we have a couple of very important questions that were referred to the court. Um, and the first one uh, regards whether the Bulgarian authorities um, uh, can refuse to register a birth certificate of a child only on the basis of the uh, that in the original birth certificate issued by uh, by the authorities of another EU member state, the child is written uh, to have two mothers. Uh, this uh, question, like the answer of this question, will not only have the, its importance for the Bulgarian uh, f- for the Bulgarian birth certificates um, of. Um, of children born outside of Bulgaria, but it will be very uh, important questions to all these children uh, all around the EU who are left without no citizenship or who are left without one of their parents because the the country where they reside does not want to recognize the foreign birth certificate only on the basis that uh, two parents of the same sex are written in this uh, uh, birth certificate. And how hopeful are you that a positive clarification will come from the CJEU? I am looking uh, on the case from uh, the perspective of the EU law, and this is how the questions referred uh, were asked uh, from the perspective of uh, the freedom of movement uh, of uh, EU citizens citizens and this child being a EU citizen uh, meaning the Bulgarian citizenship uh, provides the child with an EU citizenship and um, from this perspective and from the charters of uh, fundamental rights perspective I am quite positive that uh, the the outcome will be positive for the community all around the EU. And how does it fit into the LGBT rights landscape in Bulgaria? Well, maybe you know um, the situation in Bulgaria, but um, the, we basically in Bulgaria lack any legislation uh, regarding uh, the rights of LGBTI people. 
so basically the only legal act which protects LGBTI people in the country is the Protection Against Discrimination Act. Um, and it protects from all kinds of discrimination. However, the institutionalized discrimination, and this I mean the non-recognition of LGBTI families, the, the uh, lack of legislation regarding soji crimes, the lack of legislation uh, uh, concerning trans people to change their legal gender. These are not recognized as discrimination by the Bulgarian Commission Against Discrimination. And it provides tons of rights that LGBTI people in Bulgaria lack just because of the lack of uh, these uh, legal acts. Um, a research done by uh, LGBT organization Daystia in 2018 uh, shows that in the civil legislation, in the civic legislation in the country, there is a lack of over 300 rights that LGBTI people in the country are deprived of only because of uh, the lack of uh, the lack of recognition of uh, the families of LGBTI people, and another research uh, by Daystia done in, at the end of 2019 uh, on the on the criminal legislation in the country shows um, shows even more rights uh, that are not in the legal realm of LGBTI people, meaning that. Uh, not only hate crimes, but also uh, but also LGBTI people perceived as uh, uh, as uh, criminals, or uh, or when in jail, or when they have to uh, provide information as uh, evidence in in certain cases, um, they are not recognized as special. Um, uh, persons and uh, who need special protection or special um, uh, to be like recognized as a subject in the in the whole scene of the criminal procedure. So these are like we're talking about more than four hundred rights that LGBTI people like in the country. So in the context of those 400 plus lacks in LGBTI rights, how important is this case? I would say it's very important uh, because of, uh, because um, like Bulgaria is making small steps in the recognition of rights uh, of LGBTI people. And especially when it comes to recognition of foreign marriage certificates and foreign birth certificates. Last year, we had the first uh, case where a, f- a foreign marriage uh, was, uh, same-sex marriage was um, recognized by the Bulgarian authorities um, uh, for, the, for the free movement of people across Europe. And it was a big step for the LGBT rights in the country. And I am very hopeful that this case uh, right now will, will make the second big, biggest step uh, concerning LGBTI rights in the country. That was Bulgarian attorney Denitsa Ivanova talking about legislative moves that may progress LGBT rights in Bulgaria. 
Now I'm with Bjorn van Riesendahl, Programmes Director at ILGA Europe, to discuss the larger picture we're being presented with here, and in particular how the idea of so-called gender ideology is spreading through parts of Europe, including Bulgaria. Hi Bjorn, and thanks for joining us today. Bjorn, recently Poland and Hungary have been the countries everyone is talking about in terms of anti-LGBTI sanctions, but we're not hearing about the rise of organised hatred in other European countries, countries like Bulgaria. Let's talk first about the roots of this hatred and about why and how it's being utilised by certain governments. Well, I think it is part of a global phenomenon um, that we see in different parts of the world, including in the the United States, where um, for quite some time now the anti-gender movement has rooted in in, in conservative uh, evangelical uh, organizations that have very proactively promoted uh, the so-called anti-gender ideology um, across the world. So we see that this movement has been um, very successful in places like Latin America, uh, Africa, and increasingly also in Europe. And it should really be seen as uh, a wider uh, concerted effort to um, undermine the human rights of LGBTI people and to promote a traditional agenda um, that includes so-called values uh, of, of uh family values, traditional values, um, work that has been going on for for many, many years. And the anti-gender piece of it is uh, just what we've been observing increasingly um, as the latest part of it in in, in many parts of Europe. Um, And unfortunately, it's not limited to to one or two countries only. Um, We're seeing that... um, some smaller um, branches of, of, of this movement are also jumping up in places like the UK or places like Vinland, where um, groups are trying to undermine the rights of uh, transgender people um, quite actively. So it's it's a very dangerous phenomenon in which we increasingly, um, sadly in, in various Eastern European countries also observe that it's uh, used by governments to to share, to, to, to sort of um, take away the attention of, 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 of other types of developments, often anti-democratic developments, where politicians um, are using scapegoat techniques, uh, tactics, uh, are doing fear-mongering, really instrumentalizing the LGBTI movement and the LGBTI cause um, to promote that, that traditional values, family values, agenda, um, and I really see it as uh, an attempt in many cases to preserve power of um, people in politics who have often other things to hide. Um, and there's often questions of integrity uh, and good governance involved that, um, that need to be looked at to understand why uh, these people, these politicians are so actively trying to undermine the rights of LGBTI people. And it's really taken away from yeah, the issues that, that um, uh, I think civil society and, and, and governments should really care about, namely democracy and fundamental rights.
It can seem pretty overwhelming, whole governments stocking up anti-LGBTI feeling, things like LGBT-free zones being created. And once these things happen, it can seem too late, like that the die has already been cast. So how can activists counteract this seemingly overwhelming movement? What kinds of strategies do we need to be using? Yeah, and and I I often think back um, to 2011 and 12 when the um, homosexuality anti-propaganda laws started to be adopted in different parts around the world, starting in Russia um, and pretty soon also finding its way to to Africa and some other Eastern uh, European countries. I think the key of success lies in the same key of success that our opponents have, and that is strengthening regional collaboration, ensuring that we as activists are informed well about what's going on in one part of the world and try to learn from uh, the work that the opposition has done in certain parts and try to share with other activists um, from first of all, our own region, but then also from other regions, uh, what successful strategies are to tackle that. And then I think besides kind of responding to the opposition and and, and trying to find ways to defend the gains that we have gotten already and try to prevent that um, these kind of developments are spreading like a wildfire, um, it is very important that we look at how civil society on the ground is uh, supported um, strategically to counter not only uh, these developments, but also to have a proactive agenda in which we can, through which we can so, show collectively as, as regional LGBTI movement um, the values that we stand for. Um, because I do think that it's important to remember that the values that the opposition is calling upon are values that relate to fears. Um, it is about undermining a progressive agenda. It is about spreading fears about what the LGBTI community uh, might be standing for. Whereas I think a lot of the values that we as LGBTI movement are standing for are more positive values, um, the right to self-determination, um, freedom for movement, uh, freedom of assembly, freedom of association, um, all kinds of rights uh, pertaining to, to, to very fundamental freedoms. And I do think that in, in, in doing that work, it is important that we show what, what we're really standing for and that we try to build alliances um, around those values, not just within the LGBTI movement, but across movements um, to show that that um, the, the, the agenda that we have is not something to be afraid of. Um, so yeah, it's, it's in a nutshell, besides kind of making sure that we respond to whatever our opponents are doing, it is also about working together, developing a progressive social agenda and showing that, uh, that there is nothing to be afraid of in, in our agenda. We're not trying to work, our movements are not trying to work, take, to take rights away from certain groups of people. Um, it is often, I think, in places where we see um, that the, the, the rights of uh, communities are undermined. The opposition is often using a, a sort of a zero-sum agenda where there is nothing to win for, for anybody. And I think on the other side, what, what, what we have to show is that if we expand 
the reach of human rights, the applicability of um, standards that are there to protect individuals in society, that that is to the benefit of all. Um, so it is a win-win agenda rather than a zero-sum agenda. Um, and that is what we need to build coalitions around, essentially, Brian. In mid-November, we had the news that a draft law in Russia to amend the family code with changes that would have severely impacted transgender people and rainbow families was withdrawn. Do you see this as a sign that Russian society is moving on? Is it really the good news story we so want it to be? Well, I think it's it's on the one side, it's fair to say that the movement in Russia has grown against all odds in recent years. And an important part of that work has been not so much about just um, seeking uh, seeking to, to feed into that public, almost warlike discourse around homosexuality, where homosexuality and LGBTI issues are suddenly on the top of the agenda, but rather to to focus instead of that high level visible visibility work to focus on strengthening communities and to focus on working with, for instance, groups of professionals, whether that is uh, healthcare professionals, whether that is lawyers. Um, and I think that type of work, doing work um, with the community in the regions at the very local level should not be undervalued because that is where I think real relationships are built within society and where in an almost bottom-up way we can we can rebuild trust and we can get to know one another um so that has been part of the of the agenda in russia now i would i would not go that far to describe the recent withdrawal of the amendment as a success because what we've seen kind of Time after time in Russia is that um, many of the people that are involved in politics at the, at the national level will, time after time, seek other opportunities to write, undermine the rights of whether it's the LGBTI community or whether it's other communities, just to strengthen that family and traditional rights and traditional values agenda. Um, so I'd be careful to say that uh, that this is an, uh, an early indicator of success, but it is definitely worth uh, unpacking the ways in which the Russian LGBTI movement um, in the last years has been building uh, common ground within Russia. Recently, uh, we had the Elke Europe Conference, which was the online replacement for the 2020 annual conference, which was supposed to take place in Bulgaria, but couldn't because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And there was a real sense at the gathering of the need for the entire movement to come together at this time in the world, not only because of the socio-economic and other disparities that have come to the fore over the past year, but also to counteract things like the rise of anti-LGBTI populism. Bjorn, could you expand on this a little bit about what seems to be rising in the LGBTI movement? Yeah, of course. Well, I think it's 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 whether it's the the online gathering, which which um, like many other organisations, we had to move our conference online this year, or whether it's about annual conferences that until last year we've been organising every year. I think it's essentially about the power of coming together that sends um, such an important message to society. And what we've been trying to do for the for the past years is really work to expand the definition of, um, as, as somebody called it last year, the definition of us. 
and uh, trying to build effective collaboration uh, across movements, trying to invite policymakers, representatives from institutions into our conversations. Um, but then also uh, amongst all the, the, the different groups that the LGBTI movement is made up uh, of trying to identify um, a common agenda, working together and working to inspire each other um, by learning from each other, by exchanging ideas around strategies, uh, tactics, um, actions, whether it's about campaigning for legal gender recognition or whether it's about um, strategies to, um, to, to litigate, um, which is something that uh, a growing number of activists are doing in so many places. Um, it's all this that, 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 that I think creates, um, as you often say, Brian, um, hope for LGBTI people and it creates uh, possible ways forward. Um, and I think that when you look at the history of the LGBTI movement um, in Europe, but also globally, this element of, 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 of cross-border solidarity has always been um, something that has been underpinning uh, the success of the movement. And so that is something that um, that I think, uh, yeah, we need to do more of and something that we need to continue doing for as long as this work is necessary. We'll end on a note of hope then, but with the proviso that activists across the regions, along with the European and national institutions, really need to keep abreast of the spread of anti-gender theories, of fake news stories, and organised attacks on LGBTI people in countries like Bulgaria while authorities turn a blind eye. We need to be vigilant so that we can actively work together to help stem the tide we're currently seeing spread through Poland, Hungary, and other countries we're just not hearing about in the media. Join us next time on The Frontline, when we'll be reviewing the unprecedented year that's gone by in terms of European engagement with LGBT rights and equality. In the meantime, please like or share this podcast and share your thoughts with us too. Goodbye for now.